So for us, uh, this is our second, my second Sunday back from sabbatical. So uh, we said it last week, uh, just thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to do that. Um, I will say, going into it, it was almost, almost as if I was embarrassed that I was going on sabbatical. Like, who gets three months to take a break from normal life? Uh, and kind of, so I sheepishly entered into that. Uh, but uh, God, in his wisdom, uh, used that time uh, definitely for our benefit, but I pray that it will ultimately be for yours and the churches in this area as well. So it's great to be back, and during my time away, I spent a ton of time in the book of Colossians, and I loved just being there. Uh, and so Linda said, don't try to figure anything else out to preach on. Just preach on what you want to preach on. And so here it comes, Colossians. Uh, and because God used that so mightily uh, in these last three months, uh, from now till Advent, we'll just spend some time in Colossians and do it a little bit differently than I would normally do a book. Normally it's verse 1, chapter 1, let's go. This is more thematic. If you want the verse 1, chapter 1, Four years ago, I preached Colossians, and I have that series. You can look at that online. Uh, but this is, this is going to be different, because I think this is God as a good father speaking uh, to, to me as his son. Uh, God in his goodness making his word alive. And I don't know if you find yourself enjoying the Word of God, or if it might be kind of stale. God is speaking, and His Word has power, and it's powerful because of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're going to start with. So we're going to start in chapter 3, verse 16, because that's a logical place to start in any book, right? Uh, Three chapters in, uh, we're going to start there. Would you stand as we just look at uh, these verses together, and it's going to frame our series in this book. So Paul writes this, that let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And then back in chapter 1, uh, we see as they, uh, these people uh, came to know uh, the word and the gospel. And that Paul writes this, And so from the day we heard, uh, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Let's pray. Father, I ask that as we uh, look at your word, God, that you would just show us the, its beauty. Would you show us its power? Would you convince us uh, that our thoughts uh, are not your thoughts? Our thoughts are uh, far insufficient compared to yours. God, we need to hear from you, and there are treasures beyond measure in your word. Father, I pray that we would be a people of the word, that we would not celebrate our own wisdom, but that we would consistently be ones that submit ourselves to your voice and what you are saying. God, by your Holy Spirit, would you speak this morning, challenge us, change us, because we know your word is powerful, 
and effective. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So during these uh, last three months, the most common question I got when anybody would see me is, hey, what are you doing on sabbatical? And I'll be honest with you, I hated that question uh, because, (laughs) uh, you know, so the obvious things. Um, I wasn't making a bunch of decisions. That was great. Lots of time with family. Uh, Golf, but not as much as I thought I would play. Uh, but this time basically broke into three blocks of time, and it coincided with the three months of uh, my time away. Month one, so it started in mid-July. Mid-July to mid-August, month one, you could call COVID. (laughs) Okay? You go, and we're going to travel. We're going to have family time. It's going to be great. Orlando, down on the beach in Naples. Back up home for a little bit to go to Nashville and enjoy that. Go to Kentucky and horse country and the Ark and uh, Mammoth Cave, and God had other plans in mind when Linda is literally flat on the bathroom floor in after one day at the beach in Naples and we have a COVID positive and the rest of us would go down one by one with COVID. The heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. And so all of that plan got crushed and we were back home. Thank God for the Olympics. Uh, and, uh, I don't know how many hours I logged, but um, it, was, it was enjoyable. Month one, COVID. And you're like, huh, that's not exactly what we had in mind for this sabbatical time. Month two, mid-August to mid-September, frustration. <laughs> so COVID wasn't bad enough. Uh, uh, month two was frustration. Now that month one got rearranged, it was time for the girls to start back to school. And so then life kicked in. And we hadn't set a rhythm of rest and refreshment yet. And for me, it was very difficult to find uh, just in this. um, One of my things I wanted to focus on was prayer. And uh, so I joined a prayer cohort, eight to ten pastors from around the country on Zoom, just to kind of learn again how to pray. Uh, And well, that wasn't going to start till month three. And so all right, what do I do? So I was a bit lost as to what would be productive. What would make a good use of this time? How would I do this productively? And even as I say that, it points to something that God just exposed to me, this huge lesson that God taught me that I live with, and you might be like me. I live with this underlying sense that I need to be accomplishing something. You know, the mistaken thought that rest is simply not enough. Even though the elders gave me a clear command, go rest. Don't come back with anything. You don't have to do any report. You don't have to, just go and rest. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so uh, I've got to do something productive. And, and so as I've wrestled with all of this, month two just had this frustration that was building and, but interestingly, COVID, frustration, not being able to feel like I'm producing anything or even using this time to what I would say is valuable, God in his wisdom uses all of that. And all of a sudden, I started to feel deeply again. That the, the rediscovery of emotion started to come back. And if you were here in 2011, that was the year my dad was diagnosed with kidney cancer, 
and a few, few months later he died from that, you know that I could hardly make it through a sermon. I could hardly make it through anything without tearing up or often ending up in that ugly cry, you know? Uh, and because just that, that sense of my normal state of deep emotion then hit real uh, difficult place. And so deep emotion for me is my normal setting. And if I look back at my last six years or so, it's almost as if that disappeared. And so I think God uses uh, all things. And so there I am, kind of in the middle of this frustration month. I'm feeling, even grieving at times, letting my, myself feel sadness, joy, whatever, that God in his wisdom would frustrate my attempts to be productive. God didn't let me feel good about myself and my efforts. He didn't let me feel good about sabbatical because that would have been the worst possible scenario for me and for you. In the middle of month two, I actually played golf in the morning and I'm feeling this frustration of like, what am I supposed to be doing? I said, you know what? I've, I've enjoyed memorization before and so I just grabbed my Bible and I started to memorize the book of Colossians. And so that afternoon, I, I need motion to, to kind of learn and, and memorize things. I start pacing around the living room. Uh, and, you know, and, and just, all right, I'm going to learn and memorize. And my girls are like, is dad okay? Because, uh, you know, he, he's, he's looking kind of weird right now. Uh, I just started to memorize almost out of frustration. Not some pure motive, I'm going to set God's word in my heart. It was like, I'm just going to do something. And that's where it becomes a God story and not a Keith story. Because that's where it becomes a move of the Spirit of God, that God took my exasperated, almost like just efforts that I would just take a step, and he opened my mind and he opened my heart to his truth. It's a work of God that he uses his word in us. So as a way of recounting what God did in my sabbatical, and we'll talk about month three. That's the good month. We'll, we'll start that next week. Uh, I want to spend the next six or so weeks in Colossians, just discovering themes of Colossians that kind of tell the story of our sabbatical, because much of what's in this book mirrors that. And the first thing is this verse out of Colossians 3 that begins with that phrase, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What an interesting word, that the word of Christ, not just the words that he spoke in the gospels, like the red letter, uh, but the message of the gospel, that all scripture is from him, the word, that he is speaking all things, that we would let that, we would let the word of God, the word of Christ dwell in us. That word is basically for something to live in, or to occupy, or to take up residence. So let the word of Christ move in. Like, move into your house as if that's an image of your life and of your heart. To to let the word of Christ take up residence within you. But not only just take up residence, like they're renting a room, but to take up residence richly. And that word of of abundance. So if the word of God is meant to move in as if it moves into your house, you don't simply let it into your garage or the shed out back, right? To move in, to take up residence in abundance is to let the word of Christ move into every aspect of your life, to dwell in you abundantly 
or to that of overflowing. And in talking with you, and you've heard me speak of it often, and I know it's probably true of many of you. I know you've had times where you've tried to be in God's word, right? And you, you might, and I've heard this, you know, it just simply doesn't do anything for me. And I know many of you have had a dry season in the Word. You might even be in one right now. And coming back from just kind of, in a sense, letting the Word dwell in me. I want to challenge us to let the Word of Christ take up residence within us. And I'm actually nuancing this a bit, that I'm actually saying, don't just sit down and read it. Now, if you're not doing anything, reading it's a good start, right? Uh, but to not just sit down and read it and say, I read it and check my box and I'm moving on. I did that. Good deed. Because I think that's when we get, we read it, we read the Word of God, and then we're like, that didn't do anything for me, and we're off onto the next thing. Let me challenge you with the, the sense that reading the Word is not the same thing as allowing it to dwell in you. Reading the word, like just kind of going through the words and, yep, got it, on to the next thing, is not the same as letting it dwell in you. Have you let the word of God move in? Does the word of God have such a presence that you would say it lives in you? It lives there. You know, so picture a house with a yard, a driveway, a garage. You know, it's on a nice street with a sidewalk running past. And, you know, and if your life were symbolized by that house, where does the Word of God hang out? Is it around the house? But, you know, it's kind of more stored in the garage. You know, it's there when you need it. Or when you drive into the, the garage, you see it, and you go into the house, and it's kind of, you know— you know, out of sight, out of mind? Is that where the Word lives in the garage of your life? Or does the Word dwell inside of your home, where you live, where you interact? You're bumping up against the Word quite often. It's part of your conversations. It's at your dinner table. It's in your life. Or maybe it's just outside in the yard somewhere. Or like a neighbor that walks by, you see it and you smile and wave, and then it's gone. Or even worse, it's like a car that drives by. You know, it's there for a second and gone. Where does the word live in your life? Because Paul is saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Is it overflowing? Is it, has it taken up residence? I love the fact that it's let the word. So there is an active response that we receive and allow the word of God into our lives. Have you done that? And if you're one that says, you know what, I've tried that and it hasn't amounted to anything, maybe that it becomes a thing of prayer. God, I want to know you. I want your word to work powerfully in me. I want you to truly uh, change how I think. Would you, by the power of your spirit, do that? I think God would love to answer that prayer. I would think he would love to answer that prayer. And so as we let the word dwell in us, then the word begins to reorient us so that that we would let the word reorient our life. And so there's a receiving. So the word, 
uh, comes to us, just like faith must be received, I think the idea of the word also has to be received. And so if you flip back to chapter 1, you'll see Paul recounting uh, these people ex- people's experience with the word. He speaks of uh, hearing or, you know, since we heard of your faith. He speaks of hearing of their faith, meaning that their faith at one point was not present, and then, or now, they have faith. There was a beginning point of their faith, meaning that they received the word of God. So there's different phrases in this chapter. You know, they, that it's the word of truth that they heard, the gospel. Uh, they heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. They learned it from another brother named Epaphras. They learned the word of Christ and they received it. So the word of Christ, the gospel, the good news, is a message that is taught and is heard, but it's way more than knowledge, right? You know, knowledge alone is not the full essence of, of faith, not even close. The word is more than just knowing, it has to be received in your heart. And when we receive it, when we let the word of Christ move in, then it starts to go to work. This is where Paul's prayer kicks in, in chapter 1, verse 9 that we read earlier. You know, he hears of their faith, and so from the day we heard We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. If you're like, you know what, I just don't know what to pray for my kids. How about chapter, how about verse 9? Just pray that over them. That that you would pray that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will according to the spiritual wisdom and understanding. That word spirit, uh, or spiritual, comes from the spirit of God. That it's way beyond them knowing things about God, but that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. His intentions, his desires, his purposes. That they would be led by the spirit of God, that they would understand or comprehend, and then they would apply that knowledge in wisdom. That's quite a prayer, but it's taking the word of God and it sinks deep into someone's heart. And how does this knowledge and how do all these things happen is in and through the word of God. It can be imparted all sorts of different ways, but the primary way that God fills us is through his word. So Matt Chandler, um, pastor in Texas, uh, he was doing a series on Revelation, and he had this one section where he was basically saying that it is the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, through the Word of God that he shapes all areas of your life. The Spirit of God, through the Word of God, will shape and, and change, reorient how you do your marriage The Spirit of God, through the Word of God, will shape how you parent. The Spirit of God, through the Word of God, will shape how you work and how you pursue your work. Because as you allow God's Word to take up residence in your mind and your heart, He begins to start moving some furniture around. And that's exactly what we want. We want God to reorient us because we say we're not wise, and He is, but we live as if we know everything we're really honest. 
And so it's that, that God would fill us, that God would change us by his word, and the word, uh, that he would fill us so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So there, there's this filling aspect that comes by the word so that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The, wor- the, the phrases that come after this in verse 11 and 12 of chapter 1, that we would bear fruit in every good work, that we would increase in the knowledge of God, that we would be strengthened according to his power for all endurance and patience with joy, and that we would find ourselves giving thanks to the Father. All of that comes through God and his filling. So here's, you're, you might say, well, how do I do that? How does God begin to fill me uh, with his word? How does it take up residence? Some of you, journal about it. Pick up a pen, pick up a piece of paper, and just start writing. Consider it uh, just in a way more than simply reading it. Okay? That might not be you. Pray the word. Find a verse of scripture that challenges your thinking or that you might want to pray over your kids and begin to pray the word. Maybe even go back to verse 9 and pray it over yourself and say, God, do I see this in my life? Father, where do I see this not showing up in my life? I, I promise you the Spirit will answer that question. How do I see this not true of me? He will gently answer that question and things by his word as you pray it, as you dwell on it, he will begin to answer. Memorize it, okay? That way it is there always as you're going through life. Uh, Maybe that's not your thing. Write it out, paste it on your fridge, put it in your car, Uh, have a reminder pop up on your phone. That doesn't work for me because then I'm looking at ESPN before the Bible or something. So, um, but if you, can, if you can handle it, go for it. Spend devoted time studying. How will the word dwell in your life? Because I would submit to you, if you're anything like me, it's probably more in the garage of your life than in at the, and at the dinner table, and you're bumping up against the word constantly. Because for it to dwell in you richly, it begins to reorient. And then we move to let the word radiate out from you. So it takes up residence. It starts to change things, starts to reorient who we are. Then it let, then uh, in a sense, it's that, that we would actually be used to radiate the word out from you. So, um, uh, just the sentence structure of, and it's small, and so I apologize, but it all needs to be on single lines. So um, if you can't see that, ask your neighbor what it says. Uh, so uh, basically, here's the sentence structure of verse 16 of chapter 3, okay? So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then it's modified by two things, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and then singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then it's, there's a debate of with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Is it modifying both of teaching and singing or just singing? I would submit to you it probably doesn't matter. Uh, that thanksgiving wells up over us. And in a few weeks we're going to hit on thanksgiving as a theme. But look at that. So for the word of Christ to dwell in you, how does Paul say it's going to do that? What are the INGs? Okay, there's a teaching and admonishing. Basically, it's speaking to one another in all wisdom and then singing. It overflows with joy all in 
thankfulness to God. First, the word dwells in you, right? That's the first line. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then next, the word radiates out from you. Now, teaching admonishing, that's not a shock. That if the word is that important and that powerful, yes, we're going to teach and we're going to caution people with it. Those words are expected because it ought to be told. You know, Paul even said earlier in the book that he was called to make the word of God fully known. So those words, teaching and admonishing, are expected. But what's the surprise of that line? Teaching and admonishing one another. Uh Uh-oh, that just got complicated. Because it is Paul, he's called to be an apostle. He's with Timothy. Yep, Epaphras. They got it. They're going to teach. But that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying to the people in this city, to the people in the church, you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and you all teach and admonish one another in the word. Oh, speak the word to one another. Not just simply lend a listening ear, not merely offer good advice, but speak the word to one another. That we would teach, you know, taking the truths of the word and help somebody understand them better. That we would admonish, which is the word warning, you know, or a strong rebuke. To warn somebody about consequences of actions outside of the will of God? That doesn't sound like most of our donut conversations, right? And it probably isn't the right setting for teaching and admonishing, but it's a one-anothering. It's not just Keith from the pulpit, whoever in Sunday school, or or a teacher in the the kids' classes. It's a one-anothering that ought to take place, that the Word dwells in us to such a place that it is radiating out to each other in our conversations and the way that we interact. What's really wild is when we start talking about warnings and rebukes for each other, I would assume you ought to take a little bit of a pause. Anybody that gets really excited about admonishing other people, you probably shouldn't be admonishing people, right? Because that next phrase, that we would do that for one another in all wisdom. Not just memorize a verse and start using it on everybody. This is the word taking up residence within you, the spirit giving you wisdom to discern and speak from the word into a situation. Maybe wisdom is to say nothing. In all wisdom, I am not going to speak right now because the spirit is saying no. But maybe wisdom is saying, you know what, you do need to speak and challenge and warn a friend or someone in your family. It's interesting. You know, when we talk about all wisdom, that earlier in chapter 3, Paul is talking about right after he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, and then just goes on this list of all the things that we ought to be killing in our lives. After that, he is saying, put on. But what are the characteristics that we would put on? Are things that we need in order to speak in all wisdom uh, these things. Put on, then, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. That's about right. If you're thinking about 
a correction for somebody, it better be in the, in the wisdom of the Spirit of God with compassion, with kindness, with meekness, with humility, and with patience where you get low and the Word of God is what is spoken because we need the power of God, not the power of our words. But yet, how do we parent? If we're really honest, the force of my words is going to change the will of my kids. And then I realize it doesn't work. <laughs> Because I do not have the power of God. But then as I seek God's wisdom with compassion, kindness, humility, and meekness, they still might struggle, but I'm doing it in the power of the Spirit. Now you might say, why would I do that? Why would I risk speaking correction, speaking or teaching somebody? Why would I risk speaking the word to somebody knowing what, might actually, what, what the re- reaction might be that I would get back? Paul says this, that he does this to present everyone mature in Christ. Colossians 1, him, Christ, we proclaim. You know, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. It's the same, same words just flipped in their order from chapter 3, verse 16, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And here's where it gets wild, that as we speak the word, God uses our efforts to accomplish his supernatural work. Not that we can change anyone's heart. It's God giving us the opportunity to actually speak his word and be a part of somebody growing in maturity in Christ. And that ought to be mind-blowing for us. That the supernatural work of God will be brought about as we follow God in to what he's calling us to do. We faithfully just speak his word to each other. And God grows humility and maturity in other people. Guess what he'll obviously do? Is he'll grow maturity and, and humility in you as you speak it. Because you're like, huh, I don't match up to that either. And then you find yourself in repentance and faith all over again. We proclaim, why do we do that? So that everyone would be mature in Christ. And then this is Paul's, you know, like as he does that, he says, for this I toil. You know, that everyone would be mature in Christ. I toil, I labor for that. Get that. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. If you want want a thesis on what it looks like to live the Christian life, it's that sentence. That I struggle with God's energy that he works in me. It's not that you struggle on your own strength. It's not that you struggle on your own talent. But there's a, there's a grappling, a struggling, and a hard work aspect to the Christian life. But it is on the power of God that he is powerfully working in us. And so every effort we take for the kingdom is a God-dependent effort. Isn't it so easy, though, to live as if we could really do this? Yeah, I'm going to speak to my kids. I'm going to speak the word. I'm going to come up here on a Sunday morning uh, and, and kind of do, you know, what I should be doing. But power in life change is only through the Spirit of God. 
and we're going to get there in a little bit um, uh, next week or, or next couple weeks, but it's not just teaching and, uh, and admonishing. It shows up in singing psalms and hymns and spiritual th- songs. We basically just find ourselves erupting in joy, overflowing of God's goodness. As God dwells in us, it then starts to radiate out from us. But then also the word that we need to let the word guard us, to guard you from deception. How does the word guard us? That maturity in Christ, um, if you want to look at uh, the ideas of error and deception, go and look at chapter 2. There's, listen to all these phrases. We don't have time to look at them all. He, uh, Paul is saying, I don't want anyone to delude you or basically mislead you with plausible arguments. I don't want people to, to kind of lead you away by human precepts and teachings. I don't want anybody to pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon, which is another type of festival, or a Sabbath. I don't want anyone to disqualify you because you don't have the right experience of God. I don't want anybody to mislead you by rules that have, quote, an appearance of wisdom but Paul would say that have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Whew. So the word of God actually guards us as it grows us in the knowledge of God, grows us in our understanding, where we become fully assured of the word of God uh, and its spiritual wisdom and understanding. But get this, what's the error that Paul's writing to is not the big bad world that's going to mislead us. Paul is writing to protect this church from the teaching of deadly religion. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to to Christ, because what had happened in this church is people started to come in and give a bunch of rules that had nothing to do with Christ, but expecting the church to live a certain way, asceticism, which is harsh treatment of the body, uh, all sorts of, you know, like if you don't have visions, you don't amount to anything. And he's basically saying, I'm going to guard you from deadly religion, not from the big bad world. That, that obviously comes but from the, the sense of needing to meet others' expectations. Where does, the, uh, where does the reality lie? It is with Christ. So what's really interesting, for the word of Christ to dwell in you richly, how does that happen? Let me submit that we need to slow down. We need to slow down. I was given a slowdown for three months from the wisdom of the elders of this church. And I'll submit to you, I would have never done it on my own. I was, in a sense, too in love with my productivity or getting stuff done or feeling good about myself. And you might be the same. For the word of Christ to dwell in us, we got to slow down. One advertising company had the motto, and their motto was 6.5 seconds. 
Basically, they had that long to capture somebody's attention. Actually, they had that long to say their message because that was the extent of somebody's attention. 6.5 seconds. That's not how the Word of God works. The Word of God has to move in. The Word of God is not a soundbite on a TV commercial, but yet all of us kind of live as if we have six seconds worth of attention, and that's not how the Word works. It dwells. It takes residence. It's like your family. It's around all the time. You're bumping up against it. It starts to frame you and shape you without you even knowing it. That's the Word. Because as you dwell on the Word... The, the word of God, you will understand the world better because God is speaking, but here's, you'll also understand yourself better. And that's the, that's the interesting one. You think you have a really good understanding of yourself until you start to meditate on the word of God and ask God to reveal ways that you don't line up with his word. And what's beautiful is God as a good father doesn't crush you with that. He gently allows you to see all the ways that he has room to work and to reorganize and to reorient and and renew, to give you joy, not in your productivity, not joy in your talent and your ability, not joy in your arrangement of your life, but joy in his work in you. And if your life is anything like mine, he had to bring me through COVID, He had to bring me into frustration. He had me detached from the normal work of my job. He was taking all of these things away. Someone used the word evaporating. All of this stuff so that I could actually see what he needed me to see. God in his goodness, he does want to speak to us. And there are treasures that you can't even imagine in his word. But will you let it move in? Where does it live? Is it in the garage? Is it in the yard? Or is it in the house, at the dinner table? Does it, does it uh, the word of God, is it in your life? Are you allowing him to take up residence? Let's pray. Father, I ask uh, that you would uh, do an amazing work in us. Father, I thank you for uh, the power of the Spirit as... Uh, you allowed the word to, to become alive in, in me. Uh, Father, that um, there's nothing to celebrate in my efforts, God. It, it was truly your patience with a stubborn, wayward son that you would continue to gently pursue. Father, I pray that we would allow your word to take up residence in us. God, help us to dwell on just one verse and we see your active hand of playing that out in so many ways. God, we see the ways that we don't match up against it and then, God, that you, by your Spirit, begin to change us and transform us, renew us after the the image of our Creator that we become more and more like you because of your power in us and not in our efforts. Father, thank you for your goodness. Uh, I just pray that we would be a people of your word And that by the power of the Spirit, you would reorient, you would renew, and you would change us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.